What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Halloween, everybody. It is Tuesday night. Hopefully you are getting ready to spend some time with some friends, family, little ones getting out there, getting some candy. And we are talking about treats and not tricks this evening, John Sheeran, because the Cincinnati Bengals went into, I guess, San Francisco proper, Santa Clara, and absolutely (laughs) imposed their will on the San Francisco 49ers. A A bit of a surprise in some ways. But a refreshing, refreshing game from the team. I'm Anthony Cazenza. He is John Sheeran. This is the Orange and Black Insider. And this episode is the aftermath where we talk a little bit more in depth about what happened with the last game. John, happy Halloween, buddy. Happy Halloween. I don't think anyone was really worried. You were there. I don't think the Bengals lose when either of one of us is, is <laughs> present. That's for true. It. Like That's like I, I handle the home games, you handle the road games because <laughs> whenever the Bengals come out west, you're you're always on call. But mm-hmm. it, it's nice mm-hmm. to do a show on Halloween and not watch the Bengals play on Halloween. The past Ugh. three games the Bengals have played on this holiday have been a nightmare. Let's just put it that way. Uh, the Browns last year, uh, the year before that was the Mike White Jets game. Oh, God, that's right. Oh, God, and, yeah. And then 10 years ago, it was the Dolphins game where you had Giovanni Bernard oh, make the highlight yeah. of his career, but then losing on a safety to Cameron Wake. Not Gino Atkins yeah. tore his knee in that game. That is also true, yes. Yeah, wow. Like he said, Look at you. treats, no tricks. The, the historian that is John Sheeran talk, giving us some, some Halloween Bengals history lessons. I love it. I, I was racking my brain. Uh, I definitely remember the Browns game, unfortunately, last year. Then I was like, wait a minute. Now I remember the Jets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we're not talking about that. We are talking about the 49ers. The Bengals get a big, big win and uh, take care of business. 31-17. There were... There were a lot of things to, that came out of this game where, you know, now it's, you know, Burrow's back and the offense is back. This team looks like themselves. And I think that all of that is, you know, ringing true. I think the bye week did them some wonders. But, John, I I contend that this, I mean, it's up there in terms of NFL performances from Joe Burrow as a Bengals quarterback. Uh, he was pinpoint accurate. He was making throws in extremely tight windows insanely high completion percentage 87.5 and one of those incompletions one of the four on the day was a drop so I I mean he was hyper hyper accurate and even though the yard total wasn't in excess or you know one of these record number type of things I just felt like he was just feeling it and when when he wasn't making those kinds of throws he was getting out of pressure and making a throw out of pressure off script or running for a first down, and it was a very, very welcome sight. It was the total Joe Burrow experience. Um, it's I, it's kind of interesting how, if you want to put this up into the upper echelon of career Joe Burrow performances, joining that, I think, is the last time that he played San Francisco when he was just throwing yeah. big-time throw after big-time throw and what was unfortunately a loss this time around 
you had an offensive line that was protecting protecting him a lot better and you had continual just great performances from both uh you know jamar chase and t against of the old kind of showed up as he got time to rest that rib and you know i think both those guys took advantage of a 49ers defense that is still it's just in a flux right now they scared him so much that they traded for chase young for a third round pick <laughs> because they just couldn't yeah. get home to burrow in time like they're like nick bosa you know he's rushing from both edges which is I thought it was kind of odd because I thought he was only just a left edge kind of guy going up against the right tackle. But right. he started off this game against Orlando Brown for the first couple of drives. And Orlando, I think, held him down pretty well. I was surprised to, to learn that he gave up, I think, eight pressures because it didn't seem like he was losing. At least he wasn't losing very fast. There were some of those, you know, sometimes Nick Bosa just kind of gets home because that's what he, that's what he does. But it, it just makes so much of a difference when Joe Burrow can stand in the pocket and he can hold the ball and he can allow these these plays and these routes to develop. And he's not just totally worried about getting rid of it because he just can't move or he doesn't trust his mechanics or he doesn't trust his protection or anything like that. It just makes a world of a difference when you can have the quick hitting stuff that is still a staple in the Bengals offense. But when you can when he can extend plays, and he can create the magic that he just so often does like that. Obviously, the third and ten escape artist, you know, moment. It, it's amazing to watch, but it, it's just not it's not totally surprising to anyone who knows Joe Burrow anymore because he just like, he just makes a habit out of making these miraculous plays. And when he's at full strength and he's just operating with pinpoint accuracy and precision and timing, and he's able to do all those other things that just make him who he is, the Bengals offense just elevates to a whole nother level. And then you have him under center and he's able to actually do those concepts now. And he's able to just, you know, take the snap and take those dropbacks. It opens up the run game. It opens up more of your play action games. So like everything was operating the way that it was supposed to when the season began, if he were, if he was to be fully healthy and it just took seven weeks to get here, but they are cer- certainly here now. I, I, I've watched this team for a long time. I've covered them for a long time. And sometimes it's hard for me being at my ripe old age and seeing the amount of different ways the Bengals have found ways to lose, heartbreaking games, et cetera, et cetera. I I think one of the most refreshing, I mean, general performance aside here, big plays all over the place, offense explosion, the defense was making some big plays. I think, oddly enough, where my head goes with this one is there was a, a... given all the ancillaries that were happening here and they had the, the, the 1980s dynasty that the Niners created and all the players there of which two of those teams beat the Bengals in the Super Bowl in the 1980s. The Bengals haven't had, I'm trying to think, I think they beat the Niners in 2015 with AJ McCarron, if I remember correctly. But prior to that, I'm going, well, they didn't, I, I remember I was at the game in 07 um, where they lost that one. And I think maybe 03 that there was a shootout there. The Bengals maybe won. They haven't had a lot of success against this team. And then you go in there, you're on the road. The Niners have lost two straight, and this team is no way going to lose a third one at home. And you've got the Super Bowl teams there that have beat this Bengals team, and they did that specifically with the Bengals coming there. And you've got Ronnie Lott, and you got Joe Montana, and Jerry Rice, and the crowd's going nuts before in the pregame and, and, and everything. And the Bengals just go in there and just handle it. I mean, so with all, I guess where I was impressed with that, aside from just, hey, offensive efficiency, you you obviously prepared well through the bye. There's a lot of stuff that I guess, you know, I don't want to say you would have been intimidated, but you would have been like, wow, a young player, you know, there's Jerry Rice, there's Joe Montana, right? I mean, this is, there's a lot going on. And they went in there and it's like, I don't give an F. Uh, we are getting in here and we are doing our thing and they handled it. They handled it. And so, I guess to me, that's a little bit of a refreshing approach to this game is that there were so many things where this crowd could have really been energized and and they were when those, when those, uh, you know, former player introductions were made, but it was, it was more, you know, the Bengals just kind of kept making plays and the crowd just kind of was pretty subdued for the most part in this game. And, and, you know, I think that that's a testament to the Bengals' performance overall because this had the makings of one of those special home games for the 49ers. 
And it nearly turned out that way. Like, I, I mean, we talked about it before. That they don't lose at home. They won 17 of their previous 18 games in Levi's Stadium. They're coming off two straight losses. Like, they had their quarterback out there again. Like, we, we can argue if he should have been out there at all because it seemed like he kind of mm-hmm. suffered maybe another concussion there. But I think Brock Purdy played like Brock Purdy usually does. He, I think, had like nine yards per attempt. The 49ers... Their their offense was still moving the ball down the field. Like I think they averaged their highest yards per play in two years. Now you can argue that part of that was also due to end of half garbage time drives. But the 49ers were operating at their usual efficiency. And unfortunately for them, like Brock Purdy's mistakes ended up being Brock Purdy mistakes. And that was the point of the game for me, where it was like the Bengals were doing well offensively, aside from you know missing a field goal and then you know, the, the Irv Smith fumble inside the five, which again, like is just, we can talk for days about that, but (laughs) there was like the beginning of the third quarter, the Bengals get a field goal to open up the second half, Mm -hmm. but it's still like a one score game. And you're thinking, you don't really know how this game is going to go because the Bengals started so great on offense. Like their opening script was fantastic, but they ran into this, this, this wall that again, that they kind of ran, ran into against the Seahawks when they scored two touchdowns out of the gate and they couldn't get anything going offensively. And you're starting to think, okay, the 49ers have a chance to make this a tie game. You don't know where the momentum is going to swing there. You know, you don't know if the crowd's going to get energized or anything. So the offense did its part to open up the game. And then the defense just somehow, some way, yet again, comes up with a huge play. Like that Jermaine Pratt interception really swung the whole game, but it almost didn't. Like the Bengals still couldn't capitalize right after that. They punted. And then, you know, again, like it's still a one score game at this point. And then Logan Wilson gets an interception and the Bengals score touchdown, make it a two possession game at that point. So there were definitely moments in this game where you're thinking as well as the Bengals are playing as a total team right now, this is still the 49ers. This is still in their place. And there's still a chance where this game can swing in the complete opposite direction. And we're talking about completely different things right now. But it was the fact that I think the offense started the game, the defense finished it and gave the offense those chances to get those two extra touchdowns. It's really just what this team just kind of needs to be because there might not be a week where everything kind of comes together for all four quarters for the offense. So it's good to see that the defense can still be opportunistic when it has to be. If you were to say going into this game, again, this is kind of a macro approach to looking at the game, but if you were to say, okay, the Niners are at home, Christian McCaffrey has a receiving touchdown, two touchdowns, receiving and rushing, and 110 roughly total yards from scrimmage. George Kittle has 149 receiving yards on nine catches, and Brandon Ayuk has a 100-yard day. You'd be like, the Bengals got blown out. I mean, if you if you look that – like the, when those three guys have all of that production, just looks, taking a step back, you don't really, you know, didn't don't dive into the weeds. You would say that's their formula for success on offense. Somehow, some way, the 49ers without Debo Samuel, ever since he has been out of the lineup, they can't pass that like 17 point mark. They, they can't, they just are not doing it. And so, yes, I, I think the Bengals played a little bit of a different defense where, uh, there was some contained stuff so that McCaffrey didn't get run so wild or and they kind of kept things in front of him, allowing the linebackers to make more plays. Logan Wilson also had like 11 tackles in this game. But, John, I think to your point a little bit with the defense, this has kind of been who they are this year. It's, yeah, that the, the secondary has been playing pretty well, and Trey Hendrickson is having a really good year rushing the passer and, and continued to do so again this week. But it's a lot of yards. Not a ton of points, but a lot of yards and guys getting production. And then they come up with the opportune big plays, the turnovers, that sort of thing to end up kind of icing the game. This reminds me a lot of the Baltimore Ravens playoff game. You know, the the, the Hubbard fumble return and everything. It's the same kind of deal where they would let up a lot of yards, not a ton of points, but then they would come up with that big play. And it seems that that has carried over throughout this year as well. Yeah, I, I like the the economy of these stats kind of tell the whole story for me. Brock Purdy, his success rate passing the ball was 62%, which is only two percentage points behind Joe Burrow's 64%. But Burrow's EPA per pass was 0.33. Brock's was 0.08, which is just indicative of those turnovers, right? It's been the story with Purdy this year. He's gotten away with putting the ball in harm's way for the first five weeks that the 49ers offense was able to just rack up a ton of points and finish these drives. But when you face a defense like the Bengals, who for years, man, we talked about how this team cannot finish. They, they can't they can't get the interceptions, right? They can get their hands on the ball, but they can't actually finish the play to have not just guys finishing those interceptions, but linebackers like no linebacker yeah. has more interceptions since 2020 than Logan Wilson. Like that play, that play just changed the game because right after that, you have 
the Bengals setting up these these swing passes to receivers and then having Jamar Chase leak out on a fade route and it's and it's wide open. He's doing a flip in the end zone. It was just right. everything just kind of coming together against uh, uh, regardless of their struggles. There's still a high quality opponent that can beat any team, especially in their own domain. So, yeah, like it, it's one one more thing, though, because I, I don't think this is getting talked about enough. And obviously you were there and you could you could tell. You know, you, you saw the whole thing kind of un, unfold in front of your eyes. When Trey Hendrickson went down, no one really knew what the injury was. People kind of assumed it was a knee injury because he was like holding that general area. Then we saw the replay and it turns out it was an ankle injury and he was kind of, you know, gingerly walking off. He needed help going off the field. You don't really know the severity of, at this point. You don't know if he's coming back into the game. It seemed like he played better with a taped up ankle than he was in the first couple of drives when he was completely healthy going up against the back of left tackle. He played insane. Again, it was a good matchup, but the fact that he came back in there clearly not 100%, and I think just played even better. It just it gave the defense a spark, I think, and he still and he played up to his standard, and he ended up finishing the game with like a strip sack against Purdy. So, just shout out to him for just toughing through that because he's he's been known to do that at this point, just play through pain and play through injury and everything. But like it went from we don't know how long the Trey Hendrickson's going to be out to oh it's just him just doing his thing on a heavily taped up ankle. Yeah, a sack, uh, strip fumble, and I think what seven pressures on the day he was credited with. So he was he was in there a lot. I got to tell you, I had to hold my breath on that one because I was watching it. I guess I don't know, maybe in person it it tra- time transpires sometimes a little slower than it does on TV, especially if you, they cut to commercial or that sort of thing. I'm going, he's sitting there and he's sitting there and he's sitting there, and trainers are working with, and I'm going, please don't bring out the card, please don't bring out the card, please, because I knew it was either ankle or knee. Um, and then I, as I kind of saw more what was going on, I was like, okay, yeah, it looks like the ankle. And I was like, I want to see him hopefully get up on his own power. He did. It was very, very ginger. He couldn't really put a lot of weight on it initially. Then they brought him to the blue tent to check him out. And so, you know, I, quite honestly, um, him being back in the game and performing <laughs> the way he did was kind of near miracle based on you know that that type of injury how it looked and and not only that but you know avoiding what seems like a lot of potential time away it sounds like he's trending towards playing this week against the bills a little bit extra time about a half day or so um so we are uh you know i I think (laughs) the Bengals are very fortunate that the the injury was not as severe as it looked but it it had the makings of not looking great initially right so that's going to be an injury that they have to monitor. I think there's a couple of other players that are kind of in that same boat. Um, something we need to talk about as well, because we saw part of it against Arizona when Burrow was taking those first steps and like extending plays and actually scrambling and everything. We didn't really see it that much against Seattle. He didn't really have those opportunities, but he had those opportunities against the 49ers and he took full advantage of them and there like there was that one we, we've seen it before him making that that check at the line if defenses are you know they're not occupying the a gap and they have their linebackers kind of dropping back he makes that one check and then he just bursts up the middle for like a qb draw like those plays are so critical in just extending those drives sometimes it, it's just another element that not every team has and it's why Josh Allen has the value that he has. It's why Lamar Jackson has the value that he has. When you when you have to play eleven on eleven against the quarterback who is just as pinpoint as Burrow and he rarely makes the bad decision, it it's just it, it's almost unfair when he's playing at, at this rate. And the fact that, like you mentioned, he had four incompletions. One of them was a drop. He didn't have a single throwaway. He didn't have a bad pass. He didn't have any of those other you know uh, you know miscellaneous incompletions. Like it was straight up. He was putting the ball in play and more and 90% of the time it was in the receiver's hands on top of that with that rushing element that was was just not there in the first six weeks. It just put the 49ers in a bind that, that they couldn't really get out of. And clearly they have defensive issues and they, they tried to address them today with Chase Young, but they still have you know issues in the secondary and they just couldn't match up. With the Bengals receivers, but that's the whole point. That's why you have those three guys out there, and with your quarterback operating at an efficiency, you can have that second to third quarter kind of lull, and you can still have enough to to, uh, put games to bed. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is 
you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. My... I think another one of my favorite elements to this game and this win for the Bengals, aside from, you know, blocking out all that history and everything that was happening there. I, I, it was nice to see some players who had some early season struggles bounce back and play well. Yeah. I'm talking about T Higgins. I, I saw someone mention Mike Hilton. Mike Hilton had kind of a, a slow start to this season and he has started to pick things up as well. So seeing him play Excellently, particularly when Ayuk was was making a lot of plays at wide receiver, um, Hilton being able to kind of stabilize some things in the secondary. That was great to see. And then, of course, John, just the uh, the balance of the offense. And what I mean by that is not only run and pass effectiveness, because that we can talk about Joe Mixon in a second here, but not only that element, but also the fact that Burrow hit, I think, seven different wide receivers targeted eight. Um, and whereas Purdy only targeted and hit five, right? I mean, so there's a lot of spreading the ball around. There was a lot of um, ability to find plays all over the field. And then, of course, you have Mixon because of that, because you've spread things out, because you've been able to be effective passing, doing things under center as well as in shotgun, you now have a lot more creases and play action opportunities that uh, benefit not only Joe Burrow, but Joe Mixon. Mm -hmm. And they started the game perfectly in that sense like they had they, they ran the ball when they should have and they they dropped back when they should have because obviously the team goes as far as burrow does but to have that to, to be able to have a running game that is actually efficient and keeps you ahead of the chains like it just it makes the world of a difference and especially when you could run both out of shotgun and under center um and also zach was asked this week about that previous 49ers game when it was in overtime and the Bengals were in field goal range and he opted to run on first and second down because he didn't trust his, his offense line. He took the ball out of Burrow's hands there. At this point, like the Bengals run game in this game, it was it was clearly working. Like Mixon is had by far his best uh game of the season, and they were, you know, getting a lot of displacement on the 49ers defensive line. The 49ers just score a touchdown. Purdy has this insane, you know, op opposite side of the field throw to Christian McCaffrey in the end zone, which was mm -hmm. an insane play in itself. And it's a one-score game with eight minutes to go and you're thinking to yourself is is the same thing going to happen again are, are they going to just try to just chew as much clock out here as possible and put some faith in their defense to make sure that they, that the 49ers don't tie this up on the ensuing drive and what happened was the complete opposite of that it was burrow throwing two straight completions to Trent Irwin, and then having just one of his best throws of the by far of the season maybe of the past couple of years just an absolute laser to Jamar Chase from the far hash to the opposite sideline. And then you set up Joe Mixon for a couple of runs and then you eventually get Mixon in the end zone. Like that, that final drive was constructed and planned and called perfectly. And it was exactly the, the, the response and the lesson learned from what happened last time, especially when you played this team. But it, it, it helps when you have both phases of the game kind of working in that sense where you don't have to rely on one or the other, and you can pick your poison and pick and choose when you want to unleash uh, whatever phase that you want. 
Well, this goes really well into Mr. Generosity's uh, YouTube super chat there. Appreciate that. Needs to be stated that Zach Taylor and the coaches deserve praise. Taylor has been said to not be the caliber of head coach that Shanahan and others are. What do you think this win says about him? I, I, I think, again, I don't I don't know that he's up there with some of these these others, you know, your McVeigh's, your Shanahan's quite yet. I think he he deserves to be in that conversation based on where he has taken the Bengals, what he has built here. And and I, I but I think what you just said, and I think what we have seen from the Bengals the last two years in terms of, okay, we've, we've been at this for a month and a half. Things aren't working. We got to, we got to adjust. And that's what happened this week with more stuff under center. And they were doing, they were performing better out of that. And then of course, like you just said, the in-game adjustment in terms of approach and everything there in situational football, where you learn your lesson and you move on. How many times did we see in, I love a lot of things Marvin Lewis did with it for the Bengals, let it be said, but we saw a lot of the same banging your head against the wall uh, in that era of football um, and not a lot of adjustments. So I think that's where if I'm to give Zach Taylor and company credit, um, I think the adjustments, not only in the game, like you just pointed out, but uh, from, from where they were at the beginning of the year to now and, and, and both in 2022 and in 2023 can be, that, that could be said to be true. So that's kind of where I would place that credit. Yeah, Shanahan obviously gets a ton of credit for just making do with what he has, just maximizing it, which obviously deserves praise. If the Bengals were to lose this game, it would have been the first time in, I think, 38 games that Kyle Shanahan actually came back from an eight-point deficit in the fourth quarter. He's 0-37 or 0-38 in, in that scenario, and that could just be an indictment on his lackluster quarterback play, but at some point, like... You know, it, it, you're going to be down the fourth quarter in games and you're going to have to be able to come back. Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow have done that quite a few times in their run together. But I think this game was just proof that when he has all his options at his disposal, Zach Taylor does as good a job as any in terms of setting up play calls throughout the game. Like th there were times when, you know, I, I'm sure people were banging their head against the wall whenever they saw Jamar Chase take a reverse and have it be like a loss of four. I think he had like two right. of those for like negative eight. But one of those set up a play action pass down the field to T. Higgins for like a 20 something yard game. People have been harping on there's too many swing passes. There's too many bubble screens to these receivers that aren't getting anywhere. They, they set up the Jamar Chase touchdown that basically put the game away. The way that he calls, I think, his offense early on in the game with, with the opening scripts, which have bar, by far been very positive whenever Burrow's been healthy, and the way that that sets up the rest of the game. I think you'll you'll take those occasional lulls in the second and third quarter if you have those stable concepts that are set up perfectly. You have defenses trying to trying to bite on what they think is going to happen. So I think he does as good a job as any uh, offensive play caller in the NFL when he has all that working for him. Obviously, when adversity comes and you have a limited quarterback or maybe you don't have all of your receivers out there, it gets tough and maybe he falls short there. But this was just an example of you know when all those things are kind of working toward towards his disposal, he knows what he's doing. That's a that's a fantastic point. And I can think of, and that's another thing where I can say, you know, yeah, he deserves credit for that. Where in game or even the course over the course of a couple of games, where teams study film, he'll set up a play, uh, and so when that play is run either again in the game or that similar formation and that similar look is in a game, the the opposing defense goes, oh, oh they, they want to jump that route, but somehow there's a wrinkle to it. And one play I remember. That goes into that. If I remember correctly, it was the Hayden Hurst touchdown last year in the Buffalo playoff game where the, the, we had gone back and looked and the way they had set that up. And it was, I think, from prior games um, where the, the play and the look it was was set up and the Bills guarded it one way. And lo and behold, Hurst is wide open on that little uh, I think it's like a little wheel route or something that he did yeah. up there. Um, so it, it, that's a great point. I, there have been a lot of instances where he has utilized either within a game or, or across the span of a couple of games to set up specific plays. And I think he de he deserves credit for that. But yeah, and, and Mr. Whisper's right. It just kudos uh, to this staff because they utilize that bye week very, very well, not only for rust, uh, rest, not rest, um, not only for rest to their players, but also to, you know, add in, I think that rest allowed them to add in new wrinkles, new things that they brought forth this week. It's kind of crazy though. Um, I, I saw this right after the game ended, but I didn't like fully process it until like the day later, Brock Purdy had more rushing yards than Christian McCaffrey in this one, which mm. is either a testament to just, 
you know, Fortnite's are, are behind a game script and they can't hand the ball off as much. It's also, I think, the Bengals underestimating how mobile Purdy was. I'm sure that was frustrating to see live him just kind of escaping and just running into a lot of open field. But man, it, it's like it, it's another elite offense that Luna Rumo just manages to put a cap on, too, right? Like we talked about how everything has to be maybe in a more perfect scenario for Zach to call a good game. It doesn't really matter who Luna Rumo is going up against. In fact, it seems to matter more like if, if it's a tall task or it's elite offense that he's going up against, he gets his guys ready to play him no matter what. And this was still in a game where you had George Kittle dominating the Bengals safeties and just taking, you know, those seam routes to, to the distance. You had Brandon Ayuk, I think giving Cam Taylor Britt the business too, which, which is kind mm-hmm. of an indictment. Like d- he's more equipped to handle the DK Metcalfs, the, like the, the, the strong and physical guys that you can get your hands on rather than Ayuk who's more of like a finesse guy who just, you can't really get your hands on him. And that was kind of a, just a statement about maybe what, who Taylor Britt is as a player right now. But despite all of that, you still had, I think a pass rush that did well in terms of getting in Purdy's face and forcing him to kind of pressure up a little bit. And again, just a defense that was opportunistic and knew where they had to be in those big moments. And that's just another testament to, you know, Ana Rumo's preparation. And again, it's another really good offense that he's managed to kind of put a cap on. That's just the expectation now. Bengals win 31-17, and they improve to 4-3. and three. They have the Buffalo Bills coming to Cincinnati on Sunday night. Huge, huge game. A lot of other games down the, down the stretch that, uh, you know, all of a sudden the schedule looks a little different too, John. I mean, I don't want to go too deep into it, but, uh, I mean, uh, you know, that Vikings game has a different look. They may face Joshua Dobbs twice in one year, um, yep. uh, oddly enough. And he's in the NFC. He's not in the AFC North anymore. So they, they may face him twice in, in one year. That game takes a different complexion. Uh, Houston, you don't know. Pittsburgh, they played Jacksonville, and their offense looked atrocious in that game. So uh, still a tough game there. Baltimore, tough game. Chiefs, tough game. So there's some tough games down the stretch here, but this, this schedule is shaping up a little bit differently than it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, we see, I see this question here and we're going to get to it in just a second. Um, before we do, I just want to remind folks, if you are new here, thank you for tuning in. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel with the show icon right next to that Cincy jungle icon underneath John's little window there. You can click that to subscribe, click the bell to be notified when we go live and when new content is available on YouTube. And then of course, give this video and others that you like a thumbs up that helps us out. We appreciate that. And of course, if you like the audio side of things, you can get this show and the others on the Cincy Jungle podcast channel, whether that's talking football with Bengal Jim and friends, whether that is coach speak and chalk talk with Matt Minnick, the coach, Matt Minnick, and of course, three and out with Jason and Kevin. And then our humble show OBI, you can go get that on the Cincy Jungle podcast channel, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google podcasts, iHeartRadio. I think we're on Amazon music now too, if I'm not mistaken. So go check that out. We appreciate the support. We're going we're gonna to talk briefly about this here. Andrew asked the question, did we get anyone? I'm assuming that means trade. And the trade deadline comes and goes. The Bengals were inactive, somewhat predictably inactive, John. They did not go after help for tight end. They did not go after backup running back help. They did not get another player in those capacities. So the Bengals stay put and uh they're riding with what they've got yeah i'm i I was not expecting i i mean again i I wasn't expecting them to part ways with like a mid-round pick for uh, chase young or a montez sweat or any of the other notable names that kind of went off the board today it's just not really their style um and, and and until draft picks are no longer capped in terms of their salaries that's going to be the case, I think, with them. They just they look at those picks as potential surpluses in value down the road. Whereas if you're trading for, you know, like a an established veteran who you kind of know who he is, if you're trading a fifth round pick for that, you're the, the trade off is, oh, well, we know who this guy is and he's nothing more than just an average player. But that fifth round pick could be an above average player and you're paying him, you know, pennies to the dollar. So call it what you want it's it's a very frugal mindset and it's just something that this franchise continues to just kind of abide to and it's just a shortcoming that they just haven't gotten over but i did think that like the just it just made total sense if there was a position for them to target in the trade deadline it was the position where they are just the weakest in the entire nfl like they have a legitimately terrible tight end group it's just what it is or smith somehow is getting overpaid 
which is just shocking. But he's just performing like, unfortunately, the worst tight end as a starter right now. And there's just nothing behind him that really you know, sparks fear in the heart of any defensive coordinator. It's debilitating the offense, even if it's not making that much even if it's not that much of a, of, of a focal point with it, it's still not drawing attention away from like the, the horses of the offense, which are the receivers and the running backs. And there were tight ends that were reportedly available. And I don't think it would have cost more than just a late round pick swap, which again, you're not giving up any draft picks there. You're just exchanging one for the other and you're getting a player who would definitely be an upgrade over anyone that you have. So it just made sense for if they were to finally do something proactive at the deadline, this would have been the area to do it, and they just continued to stick by their principles, and it's, it's, it's just not a great look. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Agreed. And I think... You know, we were, you and I were both on uh, our buddy Strawberry Ice's show. So we talked a little bit about this there as well. But, you know, I think number one, it shows a little bit of uh, (laughs) organizational arrogance, I guess, a little bit in terms of how they feel that they are able to find certain players in the draft, uh, develop certain players. But, you know, for all of the great, you know, quarterbacks and wide receivers and running backs, that, and, and offensive tackles that they have been able to draft over the years. And there are, you know, there's some obvious misses in those position groups as well. Um, you know, that there are, they have had issues kind of having the stud tight end really. I mean, you had Eifert for a little while there. Uh, Reggie Kelly was a nice player, but he was kind of more a, a pass blocker in the, in the, the system that they employed then you had Gresham, who was, you know, he would have some big stats, but also big miscues. And then, of course, you had the great Rodney Holman, Bob Trumpy before that. But, man, I, I just – I think a lot of us say there's – that's the glaring issue. That's the glaring hole on this offense because you see now with Yoshi getting another touchdown here, you're saying, you know, they're they're four to five wide receivers deep. Trent Irwin, Yoshi getting involved there. They and then Charlie Jones, when he comes back, he can maybe do a little thing, you know, some things for this offense into the punt return game, too. So, I mean, you're talking that's where the bread and butter is in the passing game, obviously. You look at it, the drop we mentioned, the lone drop in the game was Drew Sample. So it's not just Irv Smith, it's Drew Sample. Mitchell Wilcox is your special teams guy. And then you've got Tanner Hudson on the bench, who is kind of your pass you know, your pass catcher of the group, so to speak, and the height, the, you know, the catch radius, the whole deal, but not, you know, he's not 
being relied upon here. So I don't know if this is more, hey, this is pointing towards a Tanner Hudson elevation at some point that they didn't make these moves, or if it's just, hey, but you know, this just isn't that big of a, a focal point for what we want to do. We're going to get the ball to our running backs. We're going to get the ball to our myriad of wide receivers. They're making the plays for us. They're putting up the points for us. And if we get something out of the tight end group to this point forward, fine. But that's that's how they're rolling. And, and I think like that mindset can still exist. And, and, I, and I, I'm not, I know, I know you think along the same lines, like that mindset can still exist. And the price to just get an upgrade is very minimal. minimal. It's, it's just, it, it's, it's trading a sixth or seventh round pick to, uh, again, like even if tight end is not, you know, it, it's not going to ever be like the focal point of what this offense currently is. It's just such a liability right out there right now. And the whole point, I think, from last year to this year was to get that next evolution of the offense and make sure that everyone outside of your star two receivers were ready to go and step up if need be. And there's just not that progression. Like you, you've gotten worse at that position, regardless of the importance there. And you, you haven't taken that next step and just making sure that the overall complementary talent level is is where it needs to be. So like it's just like they're just limiting themselves and for for no good reason they're they're trying to have an elite offense right now with with almost like a hand tied behind their back and they're just relying on what works and i understand that and it's their identity and everything but like there's there's a chance to get better here and to just be more than what you are and and they didn't they didn't take it they didn't even swing at it they just looked at three strikes right down the middle this is also where you look at the last two draft classes, the myriad of tight ends that were drafted, the myriad of tight ends that they met with, and not even taking one over the course of two years. That's where you go, man, this is this is now the byproduct of that, right? I mean, there were so many opportunities over the last couple of years, even a mid-round pick. I know you, I mean, one guy that kind of shined a little bit last year and he ended up with the Ravens, Isaiah Likely. I know they met with him. I know they've they met with a number of different, I, th- I think they really liked Sam Laporta and Dalton Kincaid this year, but it had to make sense pick-wise where those guys were going to go. And they just kind of fell in no man's land where <laughs> they were sitting right in between where both those guys went, right? Um, and so... I, you're just seeing the byproduct of that. And it's unfortunate. I, I think we all expected a, a, not necessarily a, you know, a pro bowl type season from Merv Smith or anything like that, but I kind of felt like he could have kind of kept that momentum going from the CJ Uzama stat lines to the Hayden Hurst stat lines, you know, get you three or four touchdown catches, get you a few hundred yards and, you know, 40 catches or, you know, whatever, and be a, a productive member of this offense. And it's just not there. It's just not there. And, you know, the worry also becomes then, John, you know, if, if, is there, and I don't want to go here, but, you know, does mistrust from the quarterback start to brew in that position group when you throw a catchable ball to Drew Sample, he drops it. When you, you know, you throw a ball to Irv Smith, you hope you get either close to the end zone or into it, and he fumbles it at the three, the, the opponent's three-yard line. You know, I, I don't want to go there, but if this trend continues, you start to worry about that becoming a brewing issue. Right. And I, I don't know if like if, if Tanner Hudson's the tight end they trust the most, but you have to think that they give him another shot here sooner or later. Like, I, I don't know how I don't know how long this leash or Smith has. It's it's not like it's not like he's completely protected from being cut at this point. Like he's making only like a million and a half dollars and, you know, already, you know, half his salary has already been paid. So I I, I suppose that could be the plan. I, I I look back at the draft too, and it's like I, I'm still not fully there in terms of like you have to take a tight end in the first couple of rounds, like either last year or even this year going up, just because it's such a dire need. Because you still have to factor in you know the value of the position, and everything. But that just makes the that just makes the the uh, the trade possibility and the potential that more enticing. Because again, you're trading essentially a pick that's probably not going to matter in in four years, just to see if he can just be an upgrade for just this year if he's under contract for two years. It's just like it just made so much sense from a value standpoint to just get something, anything more than what you have which is again the bar is just in the earth's crust right now well my my worry and granted they seem to be a little bit deeper at wide receiver this year so that's good news but my worry again i've been harping on this you know probably to your (laughs) to your annoyance but again go back to the last couple of postseason runs the red zone opportunities kicking field goals instead of touchdowns that sort of thing has has largely plagued them in not getting 
a Super Bowl win. And so these are the types of guys when you're in that shorter area of the field, you're in the red zone area. These are the guys that you utilize and rely upon to get those touchdowns instead of instead of kicking the field goal. So that's where a little, you know, a good portion of my worry or frustration comes with. I know they've also got Zach Gentry on the on the practice squad, but he's been kind of known as more of a blocker type of guy. He's yeah. massive. Um, uh, but uh, you know, he's kind of more known as, as a blocking guy. So options are limited. We'll see what they do, but they did not do anything at the trade deadline. So the Bengals are staying put. Maybe that, maybe that's going to be fine. That's going to be a good thing after, after the performance they put up there. But, you know, as we have said, you know, I think this gets extra spotlight because of the tight end performance in this last game where it's like, oh man, now you're going into the trade deadline. You don't make a move after seeing kind of how that group performed this last year. I don't know, but uh, Bengals do not. I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm just so shocked that he got another target after that play. It's just, it's just, it it just seemed like it was just going to be it. And I guess he's going to be out this week. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's start getting out of here because it is Halloween and some folks have some other stuff they got to do. And I got to take some little ones walking around to get some candy in just a little bit here. John, uh, what is what let's let's talk about favorite candy okay. but also if you can remember what's a favorite costume either of, of yours or someone that you have you have seen so favorite candy's got to be skittles I, I love kit kats i love crunch i think crunch is underrated but yeah, I, I, I i've eaten probably five million skittles in my life generously it, it's Ooh. yeah i how are your oh, teeth bro a lot of skittles my teeth are great i think um no i'm still a weak point for skittles my favorite costume though uh quick story i was freshman in college and my best friend who's a a few years older than me he went as essentially uh, an overweight tourist and it's an inflatable suit and it's just like you know like a floral t-shirt with like khaki shorts it's it's all like an inflatable suit and i'm like i gotta wear this because he wore it as a freshman in college and i gotta wear it as a freshman in college I told no one about it. I just showed up in an inflatable suit and had one of the best nights of my college life. We snuck in to a frat party just because we kind of knew someone. We had no business being there. And at this <laughs> point, the, like it's late in the night and like the battery that's powering like the air going into my suit is dead. So my suit is now like deflating and it just looks like all floppy. And I'm just like, I'm 19 having beverages I probably shouldn't have had in this frat house. <laughs> Just going crazy in this deflating fat suit. It was it was a great time. By far That's my awesome. Costume. That's awesome. I, I hate to say it, but my favorite uh, I, candy, I would say, you know, I like Reese's. I like Kit Kats. I I mentioned uh, before. I do. I I actually like the occasional black licorice. I like that like different taste to it. Wild I'm not, take. I'm not. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I I'm, I'm kind of lumped in with the candy corn folks. I think, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, the my a favorite costume was actually not mine. And it was a guy that I actually wasn't very close friends with. In fact, it was also in college. And he and I, uh, I guess, competed for a, a couple of different ladies' attentions during during mm. the, the span of college. So, uh, But I always thought this guy was funny. He was, like, really, you know, kind of witty but dry. And he wasn't, he wasn't, like, way outgoing. He was a little bit introverted. And uh, so he wasn't, like, this wild man guy. But he just had this really funny sense of humor. And so I see him. And he was kind of, at the time, this is kind of like, you know, emo was a thing. So he kind of dressed like an emo kid or whatever, like he or but basically how he normally dressed. And so I was like, okay, he's got like a flannel thing on or something. And he's got like an action figure out of one pocket and he's holding another and he's got his drink in the other. I'm going, dude, what, what, what's your costume? You know, what do you, what do you dress up as? Oh, I'm a giant. And he's got, he's got little, little people, oh. little action figures. And he's like, I'm a giant. And he's holding like, you know, he's holding them hostage or whatever. And I'm like that, you know, so stupid, but so clever. It's just, and it, all it took was two old action figures that he had. I don't know if they were, can't remember if they were GI Joes or He-Man or whatever. And he just put him, put him in his pocket, put him in his hand. And he, uh, he rolled with it. And I just thought that's so dumb, but it's so clever. I, I couldn't believe it. And it had to, it, it played into his personality too. Um, sure. So you kind of, I guess it's kind of one of those you had to be their thing, but I thought that was always really clever. Another one I saw too, that I thought was really good. Again, I, I'm not a big Halloween guy, so these aren't my costumes. Someone had a sandwich board, you know what those are with the straps and then, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they painted it like a eggshell or a yellowy type of thing. And they had this thing, you know, out of the chest popping out and it was uh, in two circles with lines through the circles and it was a light switch uh 
like a flick flick light switch thing. Uh, I thought that was pretty clever too. What was it supposed to be? Oh, it's just oh, it was a, a light, light switch. switch. Oh, yeah, there's like a oh, light switch that, that, cover. That's the costume. Okay. Yeah, I wish I had pictures of my. This was you know this was a long time ago, but uh, anyway, those are some of the more clever ones. Again, I'm not that clever, so they weren't my costumes. And maybe you guys are like Anthony, you're lame. Those are stupid. But if you've got a couple of uh, favorite costumes, tell us about it either in the comments, live chats, etc. But we're gonna get on out of here for Halloween. Happy Halloween to everybody. Be safe. Have fun. Enjoy your time with friends and family. John, have some fun tonight, bud. And we'll be back at it to preview the Bills game on Thursday. Can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait. That's going to be a biggie. That's going to be a biggie. I don't know. They keep getting bigger every week, but I don't know. We'll <laughs> see. We'll see. Take care, bud. Tip. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.